Nassim. Hello, Matt. My friend. Um, Good to hear your voice. (laughs) It's so nice, isn't it? Not my (laughs) voice, but the shared connection of Australian accents. (laughs) It's been a long time, actually, since I heard one. There's not so many in Sweden? No, I haven't seen one. Um, <clears throat> I was just listening to the other podcast that we did and got up to the point where you were talking about how you feel an affinity with Osama Bin Laden. Uh-huh. Uh, I think it was him. I think anyway. Saddam Hussein. So, sorry, probably. Saddam, you're right. You're <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and then, yeah, so, and because I was jumping around the episode, it was like you talking about affinity for Jaden Smith and then affinity for Saddam. Uh-huh. It's interesting because it's still something I've been... I mean, I, I, I remember I was researching these things like uh, two days ago. The exact same things. Wow. I yeah, think... Yeah, really stayed. Tell me what you were doing with it. Well, um, it was I was researching a lot of kind of uh, Islamic and terrorism history. Mm-hmm. And I spent like two hours just reading up on 9-11... And the events um, leading up to that, which is a, a very full-on experience, if, even if you just go on the Wikipedia page, because like they have time-stamped every like oh. call that was made from each plane, wow, um, to like their partners and wives and how they were planning to like uh, one of the flights, I think ninety-three, like stormed the cabin where the pilot was, and they like time-stamped each like voice and each. Um, communication that was heard before the plane. Yeah, it was really full on, and that's just on the wiki page. Like, they've really like logged the whole event as much as they can. It's so documented. Um, well, I guess it's their their national. Like it's it's once it's one of the stories that you would hang a national identity on. Yeah, exactly. It's probably like one of the most documented pieces of like our time period you know, mm. amazing sure. how time um is so thrown away and also so revered and uh-huh. it's just the events that go through them yeah yeah um yeah these kind of uh these events that are so a memorial i mean because right now so right now i'm in um stockholm in sweden and i'm kind of seconding with this uh, choreographer and um, theatre maker, Gunilla Heilborn. Um, and she's making a work called Monument, which is about all these kind of memorials and statues and kind of just uh, items that reference the past, I suppose. Um, and she's been kind of researching and documenting those over Europe um, and talking about them and listing them. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about, like, how, like something, for example, 9-11 is a really clear monument, but not because of something physical, but it's like an event monument, you know, like it was an event that is so like when you like hear the word that you think of the event, you don't think of like uh, the 9-11 memorial that's yes. present at the site. Yes. Because um, everyone, you know, well, I mean, I do because I was only two years old when it happened, but everyone remembers where they were mm. at that time, you know. It just really like anchored place in history. Um, and 
What did you think about your relationship to all of those things when you were reading through the research of it? Um, I think, I'm not sure if this is because, I mean, a, a lot of them as well I share names with, mm. which is also what I was talking about yes. uh, last time we were discussing this. Um, but I think it's also, it seems to be that the reason why a lot of them become such radical extremists is because of some kind of ostracizing from society, which right. often seems to be self-imposed, um, but sometimes it's not. And that's also true for most kind of things that happen as well in America, like school shootings, you know, um, a lot of these events. Actually, as well, just this this morning, there was a shooting in New Zealand as well. Did you read about that? Yeah, um, through YouTube somehow. Yeah, yeah. It is like a, a hate crime terrorism act by... I mean, I don't know much about the um, perpetrators, but I'm... Yeah, it was really full on to read, I think, those mm. events. Um, uh, I forgot why I was talking about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, good, good, strong yeah, start. A good start. <laughs> Let's uh, let's just start do a a little bit of context work. Yeah. Sure. Maybe maybe you could help people out by telling them who you are. Right, yeah, true. So, um my name's Nasim. <laughs> uh I'm I was born on Nunwall Land in Canberra and then I moved to Melbourne and I studied dance at the Victorian College of the Arts. I've just graduated in November and now I'm free. <laughs> and that's, that's normally what I tell people when I, you know how you have your, like your script, yes. your life story script. Yes. That's generally as far as I go until okay. people ask me why I'm in Sweden and I don't have a great answer. <laughs> well, it's kind of exotic though, right? In the psyche yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Nassim is your middle name? No, Hussein is my middle name. Hussein is your middle name. Right. Yeah. But you usually don't say that in your intro. Um, I generally, it's like Barack Obama never says his middle name is Hussein. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a, I, I think it might be because it's a bit of a heavy word, mm. um, because of what we've talked about before. Mm. Um, but often I, I think, and I realized this really last night as well, I was hanging out with a bunch of uh, some friends I met from Poland. Um, and when I just say my name is Nassim, like I just become very ethnically ambiguous um, mm. because everyone then thinks I'm like somewhere from the Middle East. That's where I'm from. Right. But my last name's an Indian name, Patel. So yes, <laughs> it's not really related. Um, do you have a middle name, Matt? Thomas. Thomas. Mm. That's a good one. <laughs> Thanks, mate. I didn't choose it. <laughs> no, no, none of us did. It stuck with me through repetition. Mm. What? How? How's your? How's your sense of physical self now that you're not full time training in an institutional environment? Yeah. And sense of like being told who you are by the group that you're around. How mm. is your? relationship with who you are now that that group has disintegrated yeah 
Well, I think that um, disintegration, that that process happened, or it felt like it happened a lot throughout the third year of my mm. training. So I feel like I've already started that struggle, mm. um, and it's kind of been whirling around for a while now. I mean, I can say since graduating, like uh, I haven't done a lot of physical work. I've actually really struggled to find myself. Because now I've got to um, put myself in a situation where I can work mm-hmm. under those same conditions with that same treatment of the body. Um, and that agency has been quite uh, complicated to work with, I've found. Um, and do you find that, because in our last discussion on Wombat Radio at the Arts House in Melbourne, you were speaking about how even like learning raps from Jaden Smith YouTubes is, is a choreographic process and is dancing. Mm. And I wonder if, if you are at the point when you're making something, if you have to consciously think about whether there's going to be any dance in it, because there's no imperative for there to be any dance in it. Anymore. Yeah, exactly, mm. exactly. Because before it was almost like there, there was always a requirement or it was always the criteria had an element of dance. Yeah, it was default. Yeah, it was default, definitely. Um, yeah, I definitely do find myself like thinking dance is often, uh, it's very rarely my first instinct. <laughs> well, lucky you trained in it though. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, you know, I've, I've gained so much from that training and I still think that um, I am interested in dance, but when I think about creating something, mm. I very rarely think about the body mm. until I think I like to treat the body in dance as a single layer, but not integral. Well, I mean, I, I guess every layer is integral, but um, I think recently I've been working with just layering a lot of different kind of media and content on top of each other. Mm. Tell me. And dance. Oh, sorry. No, just tell me more about that layering process, like the searching mm-hmm. and the layering and the decision-making. Yeah, yeah. Well, the last work I made was in still at the VCA, but I made um, an installation which was all based around this big PowerPoint I made. And the installation had like four computer screens, uh, a phone that was playing the song that I made with Rachel Wisby, um, and some essays and some writing and some images I'd taken as well. And I'd got this uh, red string and I just connected the red string like a spider's web across the whole room between uh, items I thought were related. Mm. Um, and I think that was the first, well, it was not the first time, but it was a really uh, explicit mode of working with that idea of just getting heaps of different kind of content and modes and just almost proving partly to myself that they were related and they could be related simply by existing in correlation, by existing in the same space. Like this video I have of um, Bojack Horseman. Do you know the TV show Bojack Horseman? I've watched it a few times. I think (laughs) it's when I really got the feeling that adult animation had moved on or I had aged and that this wasn't Uh for my age group. Right, wow. Because I'm a massive fan of uh, Futurama. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, and I can quite easily leverage something like Family Guy for escapism. And I'm an even bigger fan of South Park, especially seasons 18, 19, 20, missing 21, but then back hard again at 22. <laughs> when, <laughs> wow, yeah. When they got really uh, aware of the world to the point where they could poke fun at things, but then also know that they don't know the answer. Um, yeah, yeah. But then, uh, yeah, I, so I, I'm always searching. For the next, the next, uh, I guess South Park to do uh, to me that thing where it's like, it's, but Bojack is a different beast. I feel like it has a little bit more hopelessness. Mm. Yeah, it's very defeatist. <laughs> yes, and it's, it's not... very upsetting to watch. <laughs> And is and I is is that how does that defeatism serve you? Is that more? Do you yeah. think that you're more acclimatized to it, and that your generation, which would cross over with mine, but would still be distinct from mine, that that would be more comfortable with defeatism, or more at home, or more see themselves more in it? I don't think um, comfortable, but I think. Um, there's a level of uh, what's the like thing? Emp- uh, empathy. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Like empathy. we can empathize with the feeling of hopelessness, um, because that's. I mean, it, I think it's a bit of a cycle where everyone talks about how hopeless it feels and how hopeless it is, and <laughs> the world's going to end because of climate change, and there's yeah. all these things that we're really struggling to change. Yeah. Um, that everyone's very. Uh, open to experiencing something like BoJack, which is just a lot of people being really sad because uh, <laughs> it feels like there's a lot of sadness <laughs> um, yeah. about these kind of because uh, f- cause BoJack is about people that have kind of grown old as well and still don't know how to live their lifestyle. So it's like right now we're young and maybe a lot of us don't know how to live our lifestyle. And we're like, God, is that what's going to happen when we mm. grow up? Is it just going to be the same? Mm. Um, but then, you know, there's always the decision whether you're going to accept that this is a possibility or this is just a fiction that you can um, apply to your own lifestyle and explore how you're going to navigate your life. But And um, what do you reckon? Is it going to be... <laughs> is it going to be hopeless or is, are things going to change? Or I guess the, the hopelessness or the helplessness comes from that you're not just dealing with how do I get a job and a house and take care of my family. You're dealing with hyper objects like internet security and nationalism and climate catastrophe and mm. annihilation of species which is all so far beyond the ability of a single person to take charge of and fix. And maybe yeah. that's the feeling of helplessness. If you're like, winter's coming, I've got to stockpile wood, you can actually do that. Yeah. Over the past few years, I've been spending a lot of time on Reddit. Um, oh, no. That's kind of become my... <laughs> is, that, is that good or bad? I, I think it can be both. I yeah. think it, it depends on how you apply the information, right? I mean, mm. it's such a massive information that like some, I mean, it is 
as well, like as well, I'm subscribed to the BoJack Horseman subreddit, so um, <laughs> I read a lot about what pe- other people are feeling as well, and mostly people are talking about how they were really sad and they watched BoJack, and now they understand how to be sad. Or <laughs> there's a lot of sadness on that subreddit ah, in particular. That's interesting. That maybe um, like a generation above us were not given the tools of sitting with sadness. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think that's actually present in a lot of um, media that's probably targeted at um, the generation I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also below as well, like a lot of cartoons, um, things like Steven Universe, uh, which I watch a lot of as well. Um, do you know Steven Universe? I don't know, mate. I know. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh shit, I'm totally out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is a, it is definitely a cartoon for, well, I mean, it's got a strong adult following as well. It's on okay. like Cartoon Network though, so it's very targeted to kids. But okay. um, it's like the first Cartoon Network show created by a woman, Rebecca Sugar, uh-huh. um, who worked a lot on Adventure Time as well, if you know uh-huh. that. So yeah, it's got yeah, similar yeah. Um, kind of threads and like adult themes within uh, childish circumstances almost. Um, and it follows this young kid being raised by like essentially alien space women, um, and their species of alien space women is like taking over the whole universe, and they're trying to fight against it. I mean, it, it's it's very like um, feminist and empowering. A lot of uh, trans and non-binary um, explorations as well, and yeah. it's always about love, sadness, and acceptance. I think. Oh. <laughs> um, so I think you... like. Sorry, yeah, you go. No, I was just going to say that uh, I think that's just an example of um, some of that content that's arising for the younger generations now. When you're talking about targeting, I wonder how you exist within that, um, being like native to the internet and information culture and such. Like I have YouTube ad blockers and stuff. And so whenever I'm in a studio with someone and they're like, I'll put some music on. And then in between songs an ad comes on, it's so offensive to me that Uh that is how they live their lives. Um, Because I was on YouTube before there were ads and now I have the ad blocker. So there's no ads. Yeah. Um, But I notice the, you know, you can't stop your Instagram ads. And so I just stop Instagram. Um, but I wonder <laughs> that's the ultimate solution, isn't it? Just absence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But unfortunately it has the side effect that like chastity has like the ultimate solution to, um, pregnancy is abstinence, uh-huh. but it, you're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Ah, interesting. I see. Because there's a lot of, from what I understand, like, physical intimacy and sex is ultimately useful in our species as a bonding ritual between people. And so it can give you closeness that you can't reach without physicality, Uh but it does have side effects like children, STDs, uh, community structures, things like that. Trauma. Trauma. I mean, you know, the, it's, uh, you know, it's sometimes being intimate like that with people is also a risk, you could say. So. Yeah, I thought you were going to say horrific, but yes, a risk. <laughs> <laughs> but it could be, if this is the thing, I guess. Um, how How is it 
to be a dude. Like, I'm interested to hear um, the progression from Nassim the man to Nassim the kid to the kid burrito, <laughs> like gradually <laughs> getting further kidified. Yeah. Well, I think um feeling like the kid is trying to stray away from uh, words like man and, and dude and um, I, uh, it's, it's complicated. I've been thinking a lot about, um, these kind of pronouns and ways to label each other. And mm. I think I ultimately landed on kid because, um, it's gender neutral relatively. Mm. Um, it's also like, uh, a kid, you know, is like a young goat and goat is the greatest of all time, like biggie or something. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think the kid is, is, is it, it, I was thinking about this yesterday. What was I thinking about that? I don't feel, um, very, not qualified, but I don't feel like I have the agency as someone that was born as a male as well to like describe myself as anything else. Mm. I'm not sure if that makes sense. Um, I mean, I've struggled with things like my gender identity for a while because I don't want to subscribe to anything specific at all. And I don't want any of those attributes to affect me. I just want to be like the kid. That That's what I've arrived at, I guess. Yeah. I guess my, I, I come at it from the other direction where I would still identify with the labeling of <clears throat> man and masculine um, but at all times reserving the reserving the right to decide what that is and what that means. And so instead of being without label, I have agency within my label. Yeah. Yeah, I've talked to um, other people that have arrived at a similar mm. place, but all of the people that I've talked to that have decided that are also quite a bit older than me. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, we're diff gen, the sim. Yeah, right. it, feel, it feels a bit like that. Tell me about um, being like. Tell me about making, because I remember some of the things that you've told me in the past about making is like uh, a lot of YouTube, and then being inspired by rappers' physicalities, and then learning some of those. And I wonder where it's at now like are you trying to make something or are you just trying to be exposed to other people that are making things and what is it about how they do and what they do that yeah. resonates with you um i feel like i'm in a big gray area right now about making partly because i've lost this um what we were talking about before i've lost this big uh, dance part of my life mm. well not lost but it's become absent um uh, currently, uh, and I haven't made a lot since, um, right now I'm in the process of creating a work with, uh, Rachel Wisby again for, um, VCA, the, the, well, the VCA is opening as the University of Melbourne South Bank campus. 
and they had a commissions open for that and uh, me and Rachel are creating and performing a work for that. Mm. So I've been engaged in that process, but um, it's also very different because there's more of like a shared practice that we've kind of developed a little bit over the past few years. What's that? Um, what do you share? What is what is mm, well, existing between you? Well, we started working together in second year, which is 2017, on one of Rachel's works, which is about um, called Sight Not Specific, and there was a follow-up called Sea Change, Sea Change, Sea Change, <laughs> which is each one's a different sea scene and sea. Ah, like, yeah, good one. <clears throat> good name. <laughs> yeah, names. like I would like to read it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think names are the best part of those kind of <laughs> works sometimes. Um, and that was about imagining these landscapes and creating like an improvised collaborative process of kind of imagination through a lot of scores that were developed and how to structure them according to like being site specific but imagined site specific rather than actually what's Ooh. physically in the space but Ooh, when you can imagine nice. the space and make physical yes yeah it was really nice and it was mostly from her mind as well i mean it was i mean it was her work you know and it was um she's a phenomenal creator i think um and then we've kind of continued in a way with this uh way that we improvise and work together but now it's become more about reality and kind of breaking into the meta sometimes and um, exploring performance as a tool of reality and how we can um, make fake performance and real performance and who are you performing for and uh, oh, I don't really know how to explain it. This is, it was kind of something we started, we made a work at the end of last year called um, Fame. Um, fame. It was us. Yeah, yeah we, <laughs> we made Fame. Yes. And it's us um, pitching a musical called Fame that we've created. Yeah. Um, and now we're kind of developing and applying for places that we can start developing the actual work fame, what we were pitching, Yeah. Um, which is a combination of some scripts we've written and some films we've made and just trying to integrate them all together in some kind of improvised structure uh, that really play with the reality of performance, I think, is the main. Like the fourth wall and um, performativity. And do you think the end goal is to be in process reconsidering um, external reality as well as imagined reality and relationships between them and the performers and the viewer and the performers? Or do you think the end goal is to do something to the audience? I think um, we talk a lot about the hierarchy of the space and not wanting to create like an audience performer relationship but i mean and this is very a popular thing right now i think as well in dance and performance damn on trend nasim <laughs> yes trending <laughs> what's good um but just to create a shared space where all of these situations can happen but they can just be experienced and not uh revered in a way that i think some performances create an atmosphere mm. of but don't you I think? Many... Sorry, I cut you off. No, no, you go. Sorry. Don't don't you think that reverence creates space for transcendent experience? Yeah, I think it can. I really think it can. But I also think it's very. It can be very. Uh, I want to say manipulative. But I'm yeah, not sure ultimately right manipulative, of course. Yeah. And but that's like when the, what what does a choreographer do? They manipulate time and space. <laughs> <laughs> to create an experience yeah. 
but yes, you're right. Yeah. And I guess that's where uh, maybe you were talking about that, like it, it, the approach is trending to not to not position yourself as the magician who's manipulating the mm. the reality. But um, but I think performance is very. It's very contradictory at the same time, of course, mm-hmm. um, to have a performance but be trying to not perform in that way where there's an established hierarchy. I mean, it's so, it's so, I mean, I found that I spent, um, I started kind of, I mean, I, I can't remember a time when I didn't want to like dance and perform on like a big stage or something. I mean, in my brain, I never really got further than that because I didn't realize what could happen until like, maybe just before university that um that's not the only way to go um but it was as soon as i it was kind of through third year but as soon as i graduated i realized i didn't want people to look at me as much i really struggled with people looking at me and thinking about me (laughs) yeah um and i felt like i just wanted to hide away a lot and not present myself because True. but sometimes stage is one of the best places to hide yeah exactly and that's what it felt like it felt like i wasn't actually so then like you know in vca like the final year season i was really struggling to present on the stage especially like a third year it's like the third year season is you're just a product you know sometimes yeah. it feels like that your your um the third year performance is an audition yeah yeah and an advertisement and yeah. yeah, all these things. Um, so how, how do you navigate all that if, um, you don't want attention and don't want to be looked at? What do you think took you from a place of feeling like you wanted to put in the work and produce something that people could get value from watching to the point where you thought that you were not that thing or that the whatever you were making didn't have that value that it would bring mm-hmm. to other people by watching it. What do you think was that journey? I think it's got um, a strong element of selfishness <laughs> in it. The second, in that... like the merge into not wanting to be watched or wanting to be yeah. watched? Okay. Not wanting to be watched. Um because of course I could create a lot of things and people could watch them and they, you know, there's always something to be gained from an experience if you're willing to gain. So I could make things and give people experiences, but I think I found that that wasn't very satisfying for myself, like creating products. Yeah. Um, um, do you know Alice Haywood? Yes. We did. It's pro- she's, she's, uh, she's always there on, my Facebook suggestions to add, but I'm not actually sure who she is. <laughs> well, we were talking the other day about on, a, on, an, on another podcast about, um, so I don't know if this is interesting or not, but we recorded for an hour, a podcast. And then at the end, finished recording, wrapped it up. And then she asked if perhaps we didn't bring anything together to offer to the listener if we had had a nice conversation, but it was that nothing 
became cohesive into an object that may be Mm -hmm. taken away and useful to somebody who listens to it. And so we just started again. And um, Mm. the podcast that will go out between her and I is the second one, the much shorter one, which was really around this idea of like that you know something, you know yourself and you know a thing um, by the position that you take on it. But if there is no thing, then you, and you refuse to take a position, then it's hard to know it or yourself. And so maybe there is a generosity and a welcoming in, in forming an object that people can have a, take a position in relationship Mm. to, and then their relationship can change over time or through the experience. But maybe like part of the work of the creator, author, choreographer, composer, like whatever, this person that takes the mess and assembles an object so that, so that somebody who's experiencing it can have an interaction with a thing and maybe that is um, just as open and freeing and generative and full of value. But that doesn't mean that that's the way that you need to work. But I am sharing that that's the way that I definitely work. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. I mean, I think, I think, um, I truly do believe that all everything like that is, is, is valuable if you're willing for it to be. I mean, um, I think it's just if, if, and if, I mean, it's valuable for a viewer, like a third party to witness um, Mm. an experience if they want it to be with, um, and if it's valuable for you and it it brings you uh, joy and interest or education, then why, I suppose this is also the contradiction because it's hard to believe, like if I can believe that an audience can find anything valuable, then why can't, why can't I find anything valuable in any process <laughs> I decide to create? Um, what is, <laughs> why can't I find it? Yeah. What, have you done a process that you felt is valuable to you, that you found value in doing? What did that process look like? I made... Um, well, interesting. Like, talking about that, I mean, it's one of the most valuable things I've made recently was very much just a product. It was just a random video I made, and I think I put it on Instagram and Facebook. Of um, like a, I, I edited together the video from um, uh, Hairspray, where the TV kids do the nicest kids in town. I think the song is. Yeah. And I edited it with this uh, rap song. Yeah, I'm watching it right now. Right. Oh yeah, that's the one. Um, and I, I found great joy in that process because i just love tech and i love working with like um software and that process and it was very much just a product that i that i really appreciated but um it doesn't give me a solid point of education i found which is fine because i mean you know i guess there's a difference between solid education and kind of soft education that just influences you uh influences you subtly Mm. um but then, yeah, sorry. And do you think you're then offering a solid or soft experience? Like, is that does that factor into 
that, that you're more leaning towards offering a soft experience than a solid experience? How about you love? <laughs> um, that's a... oh, now I've got the video on my head. <laughs> it's yeah, also it's one of those nice things when it. you work on it for so long because it's so meticulous to edit something like that. Um, yes. That you know it off by heart, right? Yes. <laughs> I think, well, this is the thing that I think becomes a bit selfish because I sometimes struggle to find value in offering and sharing. And I feel quite uh, closed off to myself often in a process. Do you mean, what do you mean? Do you mean that you, that you <laughs> can make the thing and that makes sense to you, but then when it comes to sharing it, that that seems either dangerous or selfish or self-indulgent or self-important or um or am i wrong about all of those things no i don't think i think uh all is 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 a uh, it's all an element of the decision i think like when i made that i really made that just because i wanted to make something and i wanted to have the experience of working like that again because i hadn't made an edited video like that in a while yeah um but then I posted it. Did you just like? Yeah, I just I just reshared <laughs> that shit right now. People are going to listen to this podcast and then go and watch that video. Yeah, what's my Instagram name? Like uh, the kid burrito. The, the kid burrito. Yeah, that's yeah. the one. Um, Talking about that though, do you feel that it is important for you to distance yourself from? It seems like when we were talking before about the man and the kid and that there's a multiple choice that most people select from <clears throat> in terms of their identity and part of that is to do with nationalism and part of it is to do with family history and then part of it is to do with gender identity and then underneath that is like all the subcultures of um, music and stuff but I wonder if you feel that it's important for people to know that you disassociate yourself with like ochre Australian men or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, well, I think when I, when I think, I haven't thought about this in quite a while, but there's quite, um, I mean, and not, this isn't specifically like the kid, but <clears throat> having the name the kid burritos, it, it goes back quite a while. Um, to my first video game username uh, <laughs> or one of them mm. which was I, uh, it was like my PSN for when I first got my PS3 and it was um, Mexican lookalike because everyone at school was assuming I was like Hispanic mm. um, in Canberra yeah in yeah. Canberra um, which you know pretty soon I realized that Mexican lookalike wasn't a, a great name uh, <laughs> <laughs> But well, I was also, is, like, 14. The, yeah, so. exactly. This is the process of education, right? And it's just about yeah, if your education continues or yeah, if yeah. it stops at some point. Yeah. So then that name, the next username I made, um, uh, blurred into Burrito Incognito, mm. which is the same name, almost. <laughs> yeah. 
a bit more subtle. Um, and then around the same time as well at school, we had like a fake rap group almost. Um, and I kept calling myself your boy and digs. Mm. And then that eventually changed to over the years became the kid and digs, which I think is also interesting before it was like, I'm your boy, but now it's like, I'm not yours. I'm just the, mm. <laughs> I think that part of the pronoun is also very important. Um, because it felt more like, well, it didn't feel more like this, but I, I suppose it can feel more like when it's, you're calling yourself your mm. boy, then it, I mean, you have less ownership of uh, your identity, I think. It's true. When it's, the, it's just like it exists isolated. Yes. It's, yeah. I do call myself your boy to my partner, my romantic <laughs> partner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah, if, I, yeah. if I fix something, like the power goes out and I go and flick the breaker, I'm like, that's your boy. Took care of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could I mean, yeah, it's the right context for it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Why was it a fake rap group? Did you not rap? Uh, well, I was really into rap, and I was like, writing a lot of raps, which when I read back now, are uh, uh, like, uh, just abysmal. <laughs> yes, but that's the benefit of personal growth, right? Because if you look exactly. back 10 years and you were impressed, then you'd have to be worried. <laughs> Well, I, I am impressed at like uh, the, the the at the level of um, not incompetency, but um, <laughs> like the pride I took in my work. Yes, yeah, I, mean, like, well, I think you know, um, yeah, like the blind enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah, just enthusiastic, you know. Yeah, opposite um, to Bojack. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, I guess I've become quite disillusioned over the years because now, whenever I write. Um, like, I still do write raps quite often, really. Um, when was the last time you wrote one? Oh, probably, or something, like... Wrote, wrote anything. Oh, well, I mean, I've, I write in my book every day. Huh. <laughs> but last time I wrote some kind of uh, rap was probably, like, two weeks ago, I think. So, quite recent. And do you want to... Is that, like, part of your process, to write something every day? Or, like, how does that feed in... It's not normally, but I think because um, I'm on this trip here in, in mm. Stockholm, it's mm. kind of, I feel like uh, I want to be generous to my, um, I'm not generous, I want to be accommodating of my experience maybe, mm. and uh, really kind of take care of my time and what I'm experiencing here, and documenting is an interesting way of... Um, Taking care. Yeah. Taking yeah, care, I think. Maybe I'm respecting. That's what I'm doing with the podcast. Oh, I was think I had this theory the other day about what you're doing with your podcast. <laughs> oh, right? every time I just run out of ideas, I interview someone and I'm like, yes, <laughs> I'm writing them down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is my, what you're going to do. This is what I think you're going to do. Uh, I think you're creating this massive um, AI oh, wow. beast and you're taking down all the thoughts and information from all these artists you're interviewing. You're going to create like the artist like the <laughs> the ultimate like the god of creation through just all of these experiences intertwined into one computer wow and that person will then make work they will they, they'll be the only thing making work they will be the work of the world <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've been thinking about like 
choreographing conversations and seeing Mm -hmm. and operating in relationship to a conversation as if it's a choreography. And then that means that I have to consider what is the point of choreography? What is the value system of making selections within what to keep and share and what to discard and what to develop and what to evolve and also like how to put people in relationship with each other? I don't have any answers. Do you think... Okay, right, that's what I was going to ask. Or do you think... um, Do you think you're looking for answers? Or do you think you're just trying to amass content? Or You know that game, iOS game called Doodle Jump? Yeah, I remember Doodle Jump. Okay, that's it. I'm just like... Yeah, right. propelling off one thing... And then I get to another question that propels me up to again and another question propels me again. But I can't mm-hmm. I can't get to the next one without the last one. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so the question of like the question of how <clears throat> the question of am I a bad person because I'm a man led me to like a little bit back which is like well what is a man and who am I and what is bad but then led me forward into no there are heaps of shit people on all sides of every spectrum and heaps of excellent people on all sides of every spectrum and then I'm like well then what is the value that people bring and why is there a perception of difference and and then those questions lead me into other areas. And sometimes they lead me into realizing that I actually don't need to know to be able to operate in the world. But say, uh-huh. for example, like mm, the framework on which to think about something gives you a relationship to that thing. And so the framework with which I think about um, identifying as a man is not that there are things that I need to live up to, but that there are, uh, in terms of performativity, but that there are responsibilities that I need to live up to. And so it's not... And that, like, got broken down because of doing the Blogs Project and, and, like, taking on board all of the physicalities of the archetypal men that we were spending time with and then turning those physicalities into choreography and then letting the the like subconscious aspect of the mind that deals with images and feelings feeding that as much context and experience and exposure and questioning that I could and then giving it the time to 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 synthesize that into language through repeated attempts at having conversations with people about it and and then putting it back into dance so that it could be exp- so that it could be offered up to a viewer so that so that instead of talking to their language based minds that are argument um, that understand proposals as arguments of true and false instead just letting letting images wash over and trigger them and and letting that then be a, a catalyst for a discourse with self yeah I think that's the um <clears throat> I think that's what I've been thinking about is the soft what was it called before the soft uh, process or 
Mm, soft process. Yeah. Mm. Just um, influencing, not uh, jarring, maybe? Yeah, it's like we went through an art period of um, shock theatre. But yeah. that's not... None of us need that at the moment because the world is so shocking. Yeah, right, right. Like, to have a president wow. tweeting about nuclear war is, sh- like, more shocking than somebody getting naked covered in blood on stage. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, shock workers. But it, yeah. But I wonder how you, like, how you take care of yourself with, with all these, within this, like, continuous pushing towards upheaval and disintegration and reconstruction of self and identity and relationship and morals and and then also artistic endeavour. Like, how do you not mm, metabolise your soul while you're working through all those things? How do you actually just take care? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, um, I think it feels as if that process of, uh, I mean, they, 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 uh, influence each other, the Mm. two, and, but at the same time, they do feel quite opposite, like, they feel very far away, it doesn't feel like they're very, I think for some people that process, um, is, or is, uh, related strongly to their artistic process. Um, I suppose that is for everyone to an extent. Um, How do you take care? Mm, Well, maybe it's easier to think about how do you take care of the people that you're working with? Because maybe that's more straightforward. Yeah. I think... <laughs> um, well, as for the, uh, I mean, it's a hard question as well because I haven't been, well, I guess I've been working with a lot of people just always by, by relating to them. I think just by sharing and listening mm. and offering, I mean, it's offering, isn't it? It's just yes. kindness. Kindness is the the big sweeping. Yeah, yeah. Because topic in, in built in that is consideration. Yeah. And kindness is uh, an, an an empty gesture without consideration to back it up. Yeah, but it's not. It's not forceful, or it's not. Um, it's not. It's not like constricting it's just um it's almost like kindness can also disassemble things to allow more space Hmm. like kindness can relieve structures not reduce them or grow them but just relieve them beautiful yes (laughs) yeah i Mm-hmm. 
often I struggled. I think one of the major dissonances maybe between thinking about identity is that I think there's a big, big, big um, gap between my body and my consciousness. Mm. I feel like often I feel like my body just becomes uh, a vessel and not actually very related to the way my mind thinks. Or I don't want it to be, maybe. Maybe I'd rather my mind thinks independently of my body. Um, because that just sounds to me like a more liberating experience of life. Right. And I think that might be because I've been given a body that as we all have, but I've, I've been given a body that has um, put me in a lot of situations that I have, have um, given me some essence of trauma. And I mean, I, I suppose I could say as well that that trauma has been very valuable and it's an experience that I've learned a lot from, but, um, Sometimes I wish I didn't have the body that would give me such things and instead was just a floating consciousness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I like to think about it. It's so funny because I'm, I'm completely on board with you and the way that I got there is, again, like from the opposite direction where I think about the floating consciousness as me but I think that that has become manifest in this bundle of chemicals that is mm -hmm. a, <clears throat> a biochemical structure that is the body and brain. And that whatever, whatever the floating consciousness of me sees and experiences and does, and especially, especially feels... I know that, that that floating consciousness can only have those things because of the body and because of the chemical vat that it's sitting within and that, um, that a, I think dance training like put me into and simultaneously liberated me from the body because it becomes a tool that you use um, so you can see yourself outside of it. But then if I think about meditation that's like focused on seeing the seer, like noticing the actual seat of consciousness and its contents, then I would not disregard or dismiss that the body is the, 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 um, you know, Krang from the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Which, who's that? Which one? Krang, Krang is the dude that's like, there's a robot body and Krang is the brain that sits in the belly and you kind of see him through the glass and he's just a brain, but to move around, he's got this robot body. I'll, I'll send you a picture of it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard as well because there's been so many generations of Ninja Turtles. I think oh, we had different ones. shit, Nassim. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, okay. 
I'm I'm gonna send it to you right now so we can talk about it. Because, yeah, yeah, do it. Um, the crazy thing about about it is that of um, of course you and I have different experiences of this because of presenting different ways and in the context that we present in. Um, but I went through a period of like shame and disassociation with where I came from because it was so unwoke and the only <laughs> unwoke. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as much as I changed my mind, Oh, I remember this guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So as much as I changed my mind, which is the brain in the belly there, <clears throat> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I know that my body still places me in my historical context of how I was growing up and I'm still associated with that from the outside. Um, mm-hmm. But then I was with a friend, Kate Harmon, and she has a four-year-old and he was wild. Like... He's running around, crashing into shit one minute, and then he's, like, bursting into tears the next. And she told me that, at like, for men at four years old, they're basically just these brains drenched in testosterone. And that they have, like, the testosterone balance in their body, the chemicals are more... are greater than at any other point in their lives. And so whatever it is that's going on for them as like a person, a consciousness, a a mind, an experiencing being that is completely fueled and, and colored by this like overwhelming chemical surge of testosterone. Um, Mm -hmm. Just by the physiology of the body that that brain is in. I mean, I've lost a little bit of how we got onto this. But, <laughs> but I think, I think it's really, it's really interesting that, I mean, I suppose physiology is always the kind of, uh, arguments about these things, about identity that a lot of people I have. think we can make up identity, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think physiology can be whatever, but it's how you apply. Yeah, and then it's whatever like you decide. You could totally have a, a a social construct where, like, yes, all the dudes that are dudes are, are like on the most part bigger and stronger and more risk taking because of the estrogen to testosterone balance in their minds and shit like this. But that's not how this society runs in a way that we get those people to go and chase the animals or whatever like you could totally be like actually the animals on this planet need like cunning and stealth and strategy and the more estrogen like steeped brains are better at that and so the estrogen people go out (laughs) and get the animals so i think there's like which is not to say that I'm a scientist and I fully understand any of these things. Definitely <laughs> not. But uh, I think yeah, they, yeah. they can't be completely dismissed from each other because then we, yeah. we miss out on a large part of a large part of it. 
Yeah. But that it all should be open to negotiation, right? Exactly. And ultimately, yeah, but it's each all person should be able to decide their own fate. Absolutely. I mean, uh, these chemicals are, of course, always re- relevant, I think. Mm. Um, but uh, chemicals are actually a very um, uh, unrelated, I suppose, to identity. Um, I mean, not unrelated, but it's just another layer of decision making. Yes. Maybe that's the best way to think about it. There's so many layers of decision making. Yeah. Um, mm. So you then you're going back to Australia soon? Yeah, I'm going back in, oh man, in like a week. Okay. It went by quick. Yeah. I, I've been here for, uh, I was here in total for about a month. And then um, what to go and do? So then I have that, me and Rachel Wisby. Oh, yes. I keep saying Rachel Wisby full name. <laughs> um, I'm making that work for VCA. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I mean, it, it's been a bit weird since graduating because I knew I was going to come here, so I haven't really done much in, like, the time between. It was just kind of, like, prepping for this trip or, like, waiting to go on the trip. And waiting is a bit of an awkward feeling at times because you're not sure what to do because you're waiting. Yes. Uh, it's very consuming. Um, so now, gonna get back and then actually have that post uni crisis. <laughs> <laughs> That's also been waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, here I keep because uh, um, I keep forgetting that like I'm not going back. It feels almost like a holiday sometimes. Um, <laughs> and what's the? You think this performance that you're working on? that there'll be like a physicality within that that you're interested in exploring? Well, I was really interested in um, Gunilla because there's not, I mean, she's, she's worked with dance in the past, um, but this work actually has no physical work like that. It's pretty much just a theater show yeah. um, where they're just talking and explaining and um, acting as tour guides at times hmm. and in reenacting like an, an ancient play. Um and I, I, I'm really interested in the way that she presents information and the way that she compiles it. And um, it's just this really, and in this performance, it's really interesting because uh, it's it's very much almost like a lecture. It's a very pure form of transmission of information, mm. just language and words and description. Um, so I think that's, I, I'm just really curious about how she's done that because I studied her work in third year for a special study, a subject of VCA. Um, and I know she's her work. Well, I saw, I saw, I, I don't remember the first, how I found the first video, but it was a kind of a similar thing of this man, Kim Hyothoi in one of her performances, this Norwegian musician, just talking and explaining and telling stories and moving around the space as he does. So, and then because it was a dance course, I chose a different work. This is not a love story, which had a lot more dancing, mm. <laughs> because uh, of the course um, and that was a similar way of just discussing I mean I think it's just so valuable to like integrate discussion with movement in this way and I think I I'd felt like I'd been quite starved of that um, with the BCA at times a lot of <laughs> moving without discussing <laughs> yeah it's true yeah. and at the same time probably okay because they know as soon as you finish it'll weight heavily in the other direction yeah true and absolutely i think absolutely is valuable for that and, and maybe it's what they do best and so they should just do what they do best yeah um and but, uh, you know you if you if you're 
taking it and you just but did you find did you do was cfi still in when you went through was what cfi cfi tutorials and lecture series and stuff where you worked with other schools of the college um we had a similar thing for first semester of first Mm. year and that was it what a shame and i think now they don't even do that actually every wednesday the whole school like all the musicians all the actors all the sculptors all the composers all the dancers would all get together in the lecture hall and we'd get a lecture on art history and then we'd break off into tutorials and with people from different schools and then we would have the breakdown discussion and application yeah, we had we. That's pretty much what we had. It was okay. it was called concepts and creativity. But um, yeah. now dance doesn't. It, now dance does it like by themselves. They don't work with the other schools for some reason. Mm. Since like last year, I think. What do you feel about? Like, tell me about the feeling of not, <laughs> not being able to spend time having discussions. Oh, I think it's just the biggest waste. Um, <laughs> discussions are like my favorite part of any process. I think like mm. uh, I really like talking and um, bringing up other things that are related. Mm. You know, it's really it's really hard when you're working with someone and they, you know, this thing when some people are like I'm making work about this about mm. X, and then everything is just about X, but they don't think about how Y and Z can interrelate with X. Yeah. Um, that's the hardest thing for me. Mm. How do you keep reminding yourself to do all the interrelations? I think, I, I, otherwise, I mean, I think I've not done the interrelations for a long time because it's just so boring. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's just nothing there if you don't um, apply it to other areas, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, when I think about the work I, I made before university back at, QL2 in Canberra. Um, mm. I was just making dance work about X, and I was, you know, it, it becomes that process where you're just making phrases, and mm. you don't actually. I mean, at the time, of course, I hadn't. I, that was very valuable, but I hadn't understood how to integrate other information into performance other than just making phrases. Um, making phrases is pretty brutal. I think. Yeah. It's a bit. It's a bit. Um, of a bludgeoning for dance, I find. Um, so apart from the person that you're working with in Sweden, are there people, other people that you feel like you want to give yourself over to their process and you want to, that you look up to the way that they operate and you think, oh yeah, I'm going to steal some things from that for mine. Mm -hmm, mm Um, well, I've, I've been lucky enough for my first two weeks here, I was staying with, um, Hampus Bergenheim, who who graduated from the kind of dance uni doc here, um, and he took me around to like so many <laughs> shows and workshops and showings yeah. and things like that. So, I mean, I, I've experienced a lot of it in uh, on not at a surface level, but like over kind of wide area. But um, specifically, I'm not. I don't. I don't. I haven't had that that kind of feeling of one person I'm just really committed and interested to Mm. here. But I think that's because I haven't kind of been in one area for a long time, if you know what I mean? Like one space like that. 
where work is happening. Um, and I also think that I might be kind of tentative to do that because I felt like I was forced to do that a lot at university. Um, Pick someone. Yeah, or like you are working with this person now and you will be working with them for a semester and it's not a choice. Um, so I, I think I might be a bit avoidant of that right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is the... When you're... <laughs> you just made me think about like being avoidant in general because I notice in myself as well. What is the opposite of that? Like, what are you most, um, uh, what's the opposite of avoidant? Like comfortable? No, more enthusiastic than comfortable. Uh, enthusiastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, um, yeah. What, what do you just like propel yourself towards? Oh, video games. <laughs> really? No, like no joke. Um, like my free time is, is split between, wanting to just engage in video games for a while and mm. engage in something else because video games for me, is just a process. Of, sometimes it's a process of meditation. Sometimes it's a process of like, intense engagement, but, um, often it's just a place where I can just, I mean, I just, I just finished this game last night. Actually, I was up really late playing it because I just wanted to finish it. I was playing Assassin's Creed Rogue, which is not a good game. Like it's not a terribly interesting game. It's just like a carbon copy of the last two games the company made. Um, but you can to like hundred percent the game and find every collectible takes a long time of just running around and sailing between cities. But like, you're not actually doing much besides running around and picking up things off the ground. Mm. Um, but I've, I've found that process very valuable because it just gives me time to think. Um, and, and video games have been something I've been playing for so long that it's just like second nature to me, you know, it becomes a thing where, I mean, for some people that haven't played a lot, it's quite hard to, like, engage with the controller. The controller can be quite a block between the character, but right. um, I don't find that at all anymore. So it's very much, like, an intuitive process of uh, engaging with the virtual self, I think, and the virtual identity. Does that... Do you do that in your work? Or do you think th that's just something you do as a matter of living... I think uh, a lot of the time video games have, are my process. Mm. <laughs> I've found um, they're a place for me to think about work and kind of develop. I mean, one of the major things I think that I've found quite interesting recently is that I'm always really attracted to games that have a really complicated and um, intuitive movement system. Like if I'm playing a game and I can't really move around that well, it's like I'm done with it. Like I can't find much interest in it. Um, and I think that stems from a place of always wanting to move as like a kid and growing up as well and how that connects to dancing. So I think in one way that my biggest connection to dancing is through video games, I felt. Yeah. So do you feel that there's, that you're allowed to move as much as you want to in your dance making and choreography and process? Or do you feel like there's a a reluctance or avoidance of movement. Yeah, I feel a massive reluctance and avoidance to move. Um, really, really big. I find it's, I just find myself, and I think the problem is that I say this all the time, but I often find myself immobilized to move. 
So I'm going to try and cut that out of my vocabulary because I think immobilizing and talking about it is immobilizing. So Why? Like, when did that here. begin? Because um, you were saying at QL2, it's just like churning out the dancing and just really wanting to dance. And then you also said about just picturing yourself on stage doing the dancing. So at some point yeah, yeah. it changed and you were like, um, movement is not... Uh, inevitable or is not enough just because I want to do it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, at the same time, I'm not actually convinced that I always was interested in dance, but I think I was always interested in the attention that dance could garner Mm. for an individual. Um, which now when I look at people that dance for attention, uh, it makes me feel quite uncomfortable. Okay. Um, rather than for some kind of, um, uh, rather than to dance to create like a a sharing environment, I think I appreciate quite a lot, but but dance is an act of kindness, I suppose. But so in a way, I'm not actually sure if I always wanted to dance, but I might've just always wanted to be seen. Mm. And that shifts. Yeah. And it could shift again. Yeah, it could. I think it's it's a very kind of volatile feeling in a way. <laughs> volatile is such a know, good word. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think you can experience a lot of attention and then realize you don't want it, but then when you don't have it, you could want it. Or Yeah, you know. and then you could, I guess, come to a place where you have the feeling that actually I'm up here and I'm doing the dance but the attention is not on me. It's on the dance. Right. Is that how, do you think you think like that when you're, that's how I have to think so that I don't, uh, so that I don't worry about how good I am. And so that I don't worry about how much people are going to love me. I have to think that Uh actually they're watching the movement and they're, I mean, of course they're watching me do the movement and they're watching the character that I am and the costume that I'm in and the set and the background that I'm against and the, like listening to the music and being taking it in or not. But um, especially when I'm choreographing and dancing, I am watching my movement. And because I think the, because when I choreograph, I care about the movement doing the work. And so I want them to be watching the movement as well. And that doesn't matter if they're like watching it um, one for one or if they just, it just washes over them um, necessarily. But I don't assume that I am the important aspect of it. I mean, right. mm, and maybe that, mm. but I assume that I have a job to do as the dancer, which is to, to let people see the dance on me. And yeah, I think that's such an important distinct. Sorry. Mm, I was just going to say, I don't think it's any different than like when I've had to do furniture removals for the family business and like the fridge needs to get from the customer's kitchen into the back of the truck. Like people aren't watching me move the, f- lift the fridge and like be a strong lifter. They're just watching the fridge go from the kitchen to the truck. Like the fridge is yeah, the right. <laughs> Yeah, the fridge is so... Oh, it was on the fridge. <laughs> and yeah. I think the same for, like, musicians. You go and see... Uh, I saw Meg Mack the other night 
in like, Berlin and it was like I was just keen to watch the physicality and listen to the sounds that came out as a result of the physicality like I'm I'm not watching a piano player I'm watch I'm like watching music happen mm-hmm. and then that that's means, such an important mm-hmm. distinguishing feature I think that mm-hmm. like to, to kind of like Apart the the um, also game bodier. Yeah, well, Ivy Warren had this excellent project that she was doing, whereby she would enter the space and she would wait until the dance was there, and then she would just get up and let the dance do itself on her body. Yeah. So possibly, I'm totally stealing the idea from her. <laughs> <laughs> And um, Angela Go has a show called Predictable Dances where she employs the services of a psychic and the psychic um, foresees the dance and then Angela makes, um, I guess, uh, what's the word? Um... makes the prediction come true like oh i see yeah Yeah. but there's a word for like when a prediction is fulfilled that's a bit more poetic but yeah (laughs) so in in all of those situations it you don't have to be ashamed of or disassociated with or recursive amongst physicality and movement Um, yeah yeah And I think I think movement really does things to people as they're doing them and to people as they're watching it. And so that's why I try and think about the power of the movement and then that it has a different power to other mm. things. And I want both. I want it all. I'm power hungry in this here. It's greedy, man. Yeah, I know. Slow down. Is there, um, mate, is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to talk about? Like any epiphanies that you want shared or any um, like requests of the world to consider things? Ah, or... uh, I don't think so. It's, it's, um, I think what, there's always enough, you know, mm. if you want there to be, mm. I think. I think I, I was just thinking about in relation to this way of viewing the body, mm. something that I found very valuable um, recently was um, uh, Luke George. Do you know Luke George? Yeah. Yeah. He, he was doing a kind of process at the Abbotsford Convent in Melbourne, um, which is kind of this ongoing process of some of his works. And we had to... I mean, it was these public actions that he'd developed and these ways for people to uh, kind of intermingle and connect and share and experience together that really felt to me like that was a liberation from the performance. I, I found it so, so valuable. Right. And the movement um, was still integral, wasn't it? Yeah, the movement was so integral, but it wasn't like this... Uh, um, I don't want to say constricting another word for it, but this like defining way to dance mm-hmm. or to move. It was just... 
I think that's what happens when something becomes very task oriented. Um, yes, if there's an outcome focus rather than a. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Yeah. Like if you think that the dance that you're making is going to get all the plastic out of the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Or or if the dance is actually going and getting the plastic out of the ocean. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, right, right, right. They're different things. Yeah. So sometimes I wonder why people make dances or make things about things, like I was saying before, when people just make a work about something rather than doing the thing. Yeah. I have the same question. I don't know any answers about it, but I guess we'll keep working it out, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's good to have those kind of experiences that, or those people making those things so you can contrast or yeah. think about what's absent if that is present. Mm. Mm. There's probably something to do with the, the power of the artist to synthesize reality into an experience that can be had together or to synthesize the mundane into a ritual or to transcend um, function and transaction into togetherness. That's also interesting using the word synthesizes because to me it almost implies this artificiality. Yes. Know? Well, I, I do. I'm on board with artificiality because that just yeah, means right. man-made. And I'm a man. I'm of mankind. I, I, there's, I remember reading a book that I think it was by Bill Bryson talking about at one point in history, artificiality was a positive that you would marvel at the Eiffel uh-huh. Tower, and you would marvel at the power, at the artificiality of it. Uh huh. Yeah. And then we just got to such a scale of artificiality that it became repulsive, which it happens with scale all the time, right? Like you meet up with your friend and you love them, and you want you just think that that your few close friends are the best things in the world. But like you're at a train station at peak hour, and people are gross, and you don't want to see them. Yeah, right. And it's like three people are lovely and 30,000 people are overwhelming. <laughs> but there's like <laughs> 7 billion of them. Yeah, geez. So I think it's about scale with artificiality. But, I mean, yeah. if we are people and if we're making stuff, then I guess that's artificial, right? I guess so. <laughs> um, I guess so. It's, it's, it's a bit unavoidable sometimes, isn't it? It's almost like as... as I mean, it's all artificial, I guess, to an extent, but I think people often try to... Yeah, maybe authenticity, true embodiment's just a myth. Well, <laughs> yeah, I get Maybe you're, you're bringing up something interesting, which is that the art of... The body cannot be artificial because... It's not man-made. And so we are making things with this non-man-made thing, which I guess is true for, like, building furniture out of a, a tree. But we're making it if- for other people to watch, and they're not man-made either. But the culture is, and the subject is, and the identity is, and the social construct is. So then what about... um? 
genetic modifying in babies before they're born. Well, this is true because (laughs) what if we even go developing a product one more step and be like, okay, everyone who's vaccinated is a cyborg because we're all like technologically altered. Yeah, and some people Uh, really want the authenticity and. Yeah, I don't know about that. I'm on board yeah. with the cyborgism and the lack of polio. Yeah, pretty cool about not having polio around. Isn't it cool? <laughs> wow. Aren't we lucky? Um, okay, mate, I'm just wary of time. Yes, indeed. But indeed. And, and that maybe our conversation's getting better for us than it would be for other people. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the mark of a true... Um, Composer, choreographer, producer, whatever, to, to like know the difference, right? Uh, maybe. <laughs> oh, but maybe not. Maybe not. I think it could be. Um, maybe also the mark of one to know. Well, I, I suppose <laughs> maybe that's enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess just about what people interpret as valuable. True. True. Well, I'm, I'm excited when this future AI that's manifest of all the Wombat Radio discussions is art and makes... The Wombat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it becomes the womb of art, the Wombat. Oh, Wombat, indeed. Mm, mm-hmm. Indeed. Nothing that's like great. a little bit of poetry dropped in there at the end yeah wordplay yeah (laughs) word (laughs) word to the play (laughs) my guy um thanks Nassim thanks so much for for uh, having a great discussion and great facilitation very kind (laughs) I think so